Hello, hello. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm I'm very good. I am uh, I I am prepared. I prepared for today. I was on top time. I'm like a professional. <laughs> I like the ones where you prepare. Oh my gosh. I uh, I w- I've been thinking about things to talk about. We have I mean many many things. I've got a I, I don't have a. Uh, uh, a handful of index cards, like <laughs> uh, like other podcasters. Wait, wait, um, wait, wait! Listen, listen to this. Oh my gosh, you have a handful of index cards. No, I'm, I'm. Uh, that's Foley. I'm actually just. I have a field notes notebook that I'm flicking against the microphone. Nice, nice. <laughs> I have, I have a drafts list of all the things that I want to talk about, and we have uh, a, a jam packed full uh dropbox uh thing thing uh thing of dropbox where we like to put our our notes and get ready for the things that we're going to talk about there's so many things so many things well we should get started we should we should um oh, so uh we 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 have we're i think we're in a groove on when we're recording now i think this is the third or fourth time that we have um, you know, in, maybe not quite in a row cause we, we went to Geneseo, but we, we've been doing this like Monday morning, nine 30, uh, time. And I like it. This mm-hmm. is, gives me time to, uh, you know, to get into my week and then, uh, forget, uh, basically tell people I can't do anything until noon today. Yeah. It's exactly. like a nice, it's nice. Right? <laughs> I'm busy. I'm busy. Yeah. I'm busy. I'm, I got to, I got recording podcast. my, my podcast for my work. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So first thing I want to tell you is I'm in my office, uh, you know, on campus. I'm not at, not at home. And, um, you know, we, for a couple of episodes, we've had some like shoddy internet going on, not last episode, but two, t- two episodes ago, there was like some times where I was talking and I couldn't hear you and all that kind of stuff. I, the problem has been diagnosed and it is not yet fixed. <laughs> Ah, but at least you know what the problem is. You know what the problem is. So, um, uh, so, so all up in my, in my suite here, uh, one of my, uh, one of the, the great staff members, Natalie Seymour, who works in, I'm, I'm something's up with my throat. Hang on one sec. I'm not going to hit the cough button. Ah, <clears throat> oh, there we go. Um, so, uh, Natalie Seymour, uh, who is furthest, and this is a straight Mike Batts reference. She is literally sitting furthest away from the router of anyone in, in the entire building. Right. Um, she has, she has no internet in her, uh, in, in her, in her office. And so we called the people for internet and, uh, they came out and they're like, Oh yeah, there's internet. This was three months ago. And then she called again two weeks later and says, Nope, still, still no internet. Uh, they, they said, Oh no, we, we see here from their magical desk. Uh, we see here that you do have internet. Um, and there's something wrong with your computer. Um, and so she, uh, goes and works elsewhere like at home and has no other problems. Mm -hmm. And then uh, a third call to the internet Lords, uh, results in someone actually showing up and coming out with a, um, I think it's the same meter that's used in Ghostbusters for ectoplasm. Yep, and it's and they they go and stand in in her office and they're like, "Hey, hey, there's no internet here." Huh? Amazing. My office is very close to hers, but on the opposite side 
um, of the suite. So not quite equidistant from the um, uh, from the internet box, but uh, but but close enough. Yeah. Um, and so I also experience drops every once in a while yeah. so much so that I have to like it, the, the fix is I turn my wireless off and I turn it back on. Sure. That usually works. Uh, and they yeah. blow out the plugs. <laughs> well, yeah, blow out the plugs. Uh, get one of those those air horns but that doesn't have a <laughs> horn and uh, and everything's good. Um so so anyway, the the ectoplasm um, guy comes back uh, and walks around the the suite and says, "Oh, I found the problem." Um, and the problem is, we, <laughs> we since we've been building these kitchens, we we buy things that are going to go in the kitchen, but we don't we can't put them in the kitchen because the kitchens aren't done. So we have, oh, you're piling them up. We're piling up. We're piling up stuff. Uh, oh, and you're to, making a win- internet wall. <laughs> we've got an internet. We need an internet portal. Yeah. Internet yes, wall. Yes. Uh, and what has caused the wall are two large commercial region, uh, one freezer and one uh, cooler. Um, and uh, they, they are sitting in, in between, not directly in between my internet, uh, my computer and the internet box, uh, but definitely directly in between Natalie's and the internet box. And he said, uh, hey, can you move these? And we said, sure, when the kitchens are done. But also, if someone just stands here, will this not create a similar wall? And he's like, oh, yeah, probably. So they're going to bring a new box that has a, a an extender, a box extender. Yeah, like a, a uh, stronger you – you, you need one of those mesh networks from Eero. They're, they're, they're not, a, not a sponsor, but, uh, but they could be. Yes, I have a mesh network from Eero at home, and it works phenomenally. Works, yes, exactly. Um, so anyway, my so here's the here's the fix. I'm hardwired in today, um, ah. to, which I don't, which I usually don't do. So I've I'm, we're we we should be uh, we should be fine. Everything should be fine. So so it'll it, it but it's not a full fix, right? Because I don't want to be hardwired in. I don't want to think about that all the time. So so anyway, here we are. Um, so the uh, yeah so the so I got I got internet stuff on my list. Um, I've got I was I was away this weekend. Um, and my voice is suffering a little bit uh, from this uh, from this trip. I was coaching uh, I was coaching hockey in the hotbed or bevy uh, as I think they would say um, of hockey as it's as it's known on the East Coast. Uh, Dom, when you think of hockey, do you think of Ocean City, Maryland? Um, wait, let me think for a minute. No, I, you're thinking wrong. Oh, uh, yeah. It's so a hot, it's a hot bevy of, of hockey. It is a hot bevy of hockey. It is a, a hot toddy of hockey. Um, yeah. So, uh, so my, my, my youngest, uh, son, Sam, uh, played a hockey tournament in probably the weirdest place I've ever uh, seen hockey played in the lobby of a hotel. Um, and like a hotel, I posted uh, some pictures on the internet of this, and someone commented, "It looks like the uh, atrium of an embassy suites," and that's exactly what it felt like. Um, there was a hockey rink that was erected um, at some point, I think in the '60s or '70s, and, and it, it was just a, a bunch of cement with some frozen pipes. And during the summer, they have uh, skating, so you can go from the beach to this small uh, little uh, ice sheet and skate around. And they have ice shows where people who do figure skating do uh, jumps and stuff on it. And then at the end of the season, they host a hockey tournament for eight-year-olds. And people drive from all over. So we we came from Raleigh. We were not the furthest team 
There was a team from Pittsburgh uh, that, that was there. Uh, Philadelphia, Chesapeake, which isn't too bad. Um, Delaware, uh, the Washington, D.C. area, Baltimore, just uh, eight-year-olds uh, taking over a hotel. And um, so I, I uh, was was coaching and, and yelled a lot in the atrium of a hotel for uh, for three days. And it was fun. It was and, and also there was – the best part about it for me was that there was a Zamboni that was made from a John Deere tractor. <laughs> there was. It, well, yes, it was a, um, a legitimate Zamboni attachment to a John Deere tractor, not, not even – something that had been welded together uh, because while you're sitting um, watching the Samboni tractor um, flood the ice, uh, you do things like Google. How do you, how do you get an attachment like this? Yeah. Uh, and so they're, yeah, they're available, but this, this moves into food safety a little bit, Don. It does. Uh, it does because uh, as you may know, um, and, and you and I have, have talked a little bit about this part of our lives, I think, um, when you when you socially know people that are not food safety folks and then they find out that you're a food safety person, it leads to an, an entirely different type of conversation, right? Like like when I, I, I've experienced this now with, with hockey with my older son where I now receive a bunch of texts. Um, and so, uh, you know, for, for instance, let me, let me scroll back through my, uh, my texts. I had a question about, um, oh, let's see. I left, uh, um, uh, go through this. I, I left uh, chicken broth in the fridge refrigerated for seven days. Can I still use it? Um, and which, which the answer is, uh, that I provided was, was yes. And, and asked them about the temperature of their refrigerator. Um, uh, can I bake, uh, well, sorry, can I make muffin, uh, um, no muffins, cupcakes that have alcohol in the icing. And if I serve them to children, what's the effect, how much alcohol will be there and how would I get use get the alcohol bourbon flavor, but without alcohol, if I wanted to de-alcoholize it, uh, also came from, from a hockey parent. Great question. Yeah. Um, and to which I said you could heat it, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, prior to, and the alcohol will, will evaporate. It boils off at a much lower temperature than water does. Um, but not the, much but lower, but lower. Yeah, but the, but the flavor would be retained or, or you could just not do that and, uh, it might help your kids sleep. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And we calculated what the percentage of alcohol would be in, um, a, uh, a large bowl of icing. It was very, very low. Right. Um, anyway, so now, but now I've been, I've been outed by uh, a parent who is, uh, we have, uh, kids on both, both t- two teams. And so he, uh, as we ate dinner, um, a big team dinner and, and Don, this would, this might drive you crazy. It, it, it's something that I've learned to let go of, but I know that there are people in, in my life that, um, that would, that would not appreciate the situation that we get ourselves into uh, almost every hockey tournament weekend, which is let's go to a restaurant with over 50 people and, and try to get served in, in some timely fashion. And with the stipulation of things like, Oh, separate bills. And we all want to sit together. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, that's, uh, oh yeah. I, yeah, not, you just, yeah, not good. Not good. Well, it's not good, but you just learn to let go, right? Like your normal, my, my normal approach of what I would expect a meal to be, you just have to suspend all of that and just say, 
over and over again to the server, look, I know you are doing your best. We have hit you with an unreasonable task. And if people are upset at you, that's on them, not you. (laughs) Oh, well, that's, yeah. yeah. And also, you need to lower your expectations about when you're going to get your food, if your check is going to be right, um, and if you're even going to get the right food. All of that. Yeah. 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 You, and you, you just kind of like go into it knowing this is not we're we're it's unrealistic that we would get in and out within an hour or an hour and a half. There is a system where, um, that's been devised by others that came before me of, you know, your kids are at a different table and parents are all sitting together order by Jersey number. So, so you have a check that for in my case is either number 33 for my older son, Jack, or number 32 or 22 for my, my younger son, Sam. Um, and, uh, and, and so then that, you know, the kid knows to order by Jersey number, the parents know to order by Jersey number. It actually works um, pretty well. Yeah. How about that? You got, you got these numbers, the numbers are just sitting right there, not doing anything. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. A restaurant hack. So, so yeah, hacked up. (laughs) <laughs> it's a happen hacked. Uh, so, so, so during this, this full, um, you know, Saturday night, uh, meal, we went out and, you know, 50 plus people and we had our own room, uh, in, in the restaurant. So they, they like to, uh, sequester you, which is a great idea, um, for the, for the restaurant. And this one had been organized beforehand and it was a buffet and Dawn. Oh, perfect. Right. It's great. It all works, right? Food comes out, everything works. But then now we're into, uh, food safety persons here. Let's talk mm, about buffet. Mm. So that, that was a, a 40 minute conversation. So I have a question for you. Okay. That I don't think we've, I mean, we have touched on this, but I don't think explicitly I've, I've asked this question. Um, what's your, what's your buffet approach? What do you, how do you handle, how do you handle a buffet? Like a, like a wedding, like an event, right? We're not, I'm not talking a golden corral kind of style, uh, you know, restaurant where it's all buffet, but you, you've got maybe six or eight dishes that are up there. What do you, what do you, do you do anything differently, um, in during that meal, uh, than you do with, with other meal times? That's a good question. So we, we have a regular, uh, routine, um, and we did it yesterday, um, which is that every Sunday, uh, we go for Indian food and it's always Indian food buffet. And so that's probably my weekly experience of a buffet. And so, well, the first thing that I think about now, um, and I think about this because of norovirus on cruise ships is I always think about what's on those serving utensils that... Did I, did I, did I get the right answer? Oh my gosh. What's on those serving utensils that I'm touching with my hands? Um, now that said, I am probably mostly eating foods with a knife and a fork. Um, that said, it's, it's Indian buffet, so there's going to be naan. Um, and so we, we get a, uh, the, the way that this buffet works is they bring out a basket of naan. Um, and then I'm probably touching that with my hands, which has been touching the utensils, which has also been being touched by other people. But I, I tend to not think about it too much, mostly Mostly on a buffet, I'm thinking about temperature control, right? So is, is, it, is it a hot buffet, in which case is the sterno on, is the food hot? And, and I think in all of my time of going to this same uh, Indian buffet, and we know, that, we know the owner, he recognizes us, we recognize him. Um, I think one time um, the sterno was out, and I told him, and he fixed it right away. Now, obviously, you know, the solution, you know, sterno is not meant to take room temperature food and make it hot, but at least he did remedy that. And then, and then of course, there's cold foods, like typically the desserts, um, and, and I expect those to be cold, and uh, generally, uh, generally they are. So that's the, the main, the main, the 
real risk, I would say the real risk, um, using you know Richard Fingers, is I'm worried about temperature control. Yeah. But, yeah. but again, I know from the eating at this buffet, and I know from all the work that we do uh, for Rutgers Dining um, that. <clears throat> Foods can be out of temperature. You know, you might be on a buffet, and the food might be on a buffet, and it might be out of temperature control. But as long as at the end of the service that food gets discarded and doesn't get reused and re re temperature abused, you know, you, you're essentially, although you're not technically using time as a temperature time as a, a food safety control, which is which is one of the provisions of the food code. You ass- you essentially are as long as you're discarding that food at the end of the shift, which is let's say it's a four hour um, you know meal shift. So. Um, but yeah, I, 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 but I mean, what am I going to do right now? The good, the good thing is the good thing is at this particular Indian buffet, there is a giant thing of hand sanitizer at the start of the buffet. Right. And so if you want to take a pump, yeah, if you want to take a pump of hand sanitizer, um, you could, um, but actually what you really should do. So of course, I mean, what you really should do is the other people that are about to handle the tongs should use a pump of hand sanitizer. And then you, after you've touched the dirty tongs, um, before you go sit at your table, then you should go get a, 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 a shot of hand sanitizer to, to sanitize your hands. But I tend to not do that. I, again, um, as you heard, um, in the episode of uh, Dubai Friday that came out this week, I, I don't have a standard procedure for boarding an airplane and sanitizing my <laughs> space. Um, uh, I tend to be somewhat lax. Now, that said, um, my wife is is really good about having hand sanitizer, and oftentimes uh, when, I'm, uh, when we're traveling, she will whip out the hand sanitizer, and I'll, I'll take, a, I'll take a, a shot, and I'll do it. But I, I am not as good with that as perhaps I should be, um, but... You know, whatever. I'm, you know, as surprisingly uh, to some people, apparently, I am, uh, although I think about, as I shared, um, uh, I think about germs all the time, but I don't worry about germs maybe as much as other people, <coughs> Max Temkin, might, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. So, so this is, this is a really, um, uh, I, I guess, interesting tangent because there's a couple things I want to talk to talk about. I, this is all I do for buffets. Um, I'm totally with you. I agree with the temperature control in a situation like what I encountered on Saturday night. I'm less worried about it because we have a a short amount of time. Um, You know, maybe it's being served for 45 minutes, right? Totally. You get a couple of rounds through the buffet, only 50 people. It's kind of like a wedding kind of situation where unless, unless we're, um, unless there's been temperature abuse that happened to it before I got there in that short amount of time, um, they're in, you know, on a steam table or, you know, whatever it is, it's, it's being held hopefully at, at some warmish kind of temperature. I'm, I, 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 there's not much I I can do. The only thing that I really do differently. Um, and, and this is, this is an interesting one. Cause it's not something I think about. It's interesting to me, at least it's not something I think about in a normal meal. I will go, um, I, I will go wash my hands, um, before I eat you know, uh, you know, 98% of the time, but a buffet for the exact reason that you, you talked about, I go this, like I'll go through the line, I'll scoop my food out. I'll take my food back to my table and then I drop it on the table and then I go wash my hands because I also you know, might eat a roll or, um, you know, the, I think there were some chicken wings or something that I, that I ate with my hands, um, in this, in this, uh, instance. So, it's one of those things where that's the only trigger for me is, okay, 
I'm thinking about is exactly where you went to first, all the hands that are on those serving utensils. And the only real control that I have is let me go try and break that chain um, a little bit with a, with a quick, um, well, a, a regular normal hand wash um, before I, I, you know, put my, my hands on food and that food um, in my mouth. And so this conversation popped up a little bit on, um, on Saturday night. And, and it was like, I think, and this, this is, I, I, I want to, uh, one of my, the other notes that I had on my list to talk about, um, today related to your Dubai Friday appearance, which was phenomenal, by the way, go, we'll link to the show notes. Everybody go listen to it. It was one of the, one of the, um, uh, I think best podcast that I've heard. And I'm not saying that cause I'm biased that it was a food safety content or you were there. It just was really neat to hear, um, you and, and the Dubai Friday team talk about the stuff that we talk about from another perspective. And the thing that stuck with me through that episode is the use, um, uh, of the turns out that I don't even think about that you and I are, are doing a lot, right? but, but that's what we do. Right. And right. that's what, that was the turns out was, was that I experienced on Saturday night as I thought about that, that situation after listening to the episode, I was like, well, I, what I did was it turns out it was the, everyone else is concerned about, um, you know, buffets are a problem because the temperature issues are, are, are problematic. And my approach was, well, the turns out I'm really worried about the hands right? right. And, and not the sneeze guards. There's no sneeze guard here. Oh God. Uh, and sne- sneeze guards are just, I mean, I understand why they're there, but mostly, right. and, and I, we've talked about this before, I think on the show that, uh, I eat a lot at uh, Harvest Cafe, which is a wonderful cafe on on Rutgers uh, campus near my building. Um, and the sneeze guards make it freaking impossible to to get food. In fact, they they might there might actually there might be an interesting food safety trade off there where you're kind of reaching under the buffet and you're much more likely to either cross contaminate one ingredient into another or do do something um, because the sneeze guards are just just totally in the way. So yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the. I don't know. Maybe I just didn't have an appreciation for it. Maybe we've talked about this and I, it just never clicked with me or I don't think about it all the time. But the turns out is what food safety talks all about. Right. It's like here are the things that's that's the that's the goal of tell us about the stuff that you see in everyday life and food safety. And let's talk about, you know, um, perceived risk versus microbiological risk that you and I see. Right. And I won't even say that it's a real risk. It's just our approach and, and our, our focus. So, yeah, so it was I don't know. I, I just got more thinking and thinking about the turns out is what what we're all about. Um, and we have some turns outs today to, to talk to talk a little bit um, more about. Yeah, and 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 for sure we'll link to that uh, episode. It's called the Bathroom Boys. It's episode uh, one hundred and two, uh, the Dubai Friday podcast, um, and it's a, it's a it's a it's, it was a lot of fun to do. I mean, it was just it was so great to meet um, uh, Alex and Max in person and go to the Cards Against Humanity building and just the whole the whole the whole experience was was just a whole lot of fun. And, and we had a great time doing the podcast. And I think it came through that people uh, had fun um, that people and people could sense that we were having fun and they they we got a lot of positive feedback about the episode so oh awesome awesome absolutely and i i've shared with you offline um about this as they say in the in the business but i, w- I do want to share um you know on on the line that that i do have the the fomo right like I, I it sounded like a ridiculous amount of fun and i am so glad that you got to do it and i was like oh i want to do that i want to <laughs> 
wouldn't well, do that. And, they, and, the, yeah. good news, the good news is that Max, uh, Max agreed to come on the podcast. So uh, I thought about uh, texting him about coming on today. Um, but any, yeah, so my strategy is just going to be like, we're going to just, you know, as, as with all guests on the podcast, we're going to find out just how badly you want to be a guest um, is we're going to schedule the next podcast when it's convenient for you and me, Ben, and then we'll, we'll just see if uh, people show up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, oh, and speaking, I, speaking of which, we almost had a guest on today's podcast. Um, <clears throat> Yeah. Who uh, we shouldn't we shouldn't reveal his name, but let's say he's a friend of ours on um, uh, on, on Facebook, and we could call him um, uh, Deep um, Deep Albany. Deep, call- Deep Albany. I was thinking Deep Albany. Yeah. So um, who had a, again a hand uh, issue um, uh, at a, at a restaurant, and so we we can we can certainly talk about that. Um, well, let's talk about that. Okay, sure. Let's do it. It's it turns out for me this one. <clears throat> okay, this cool. One. Oh, um, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, so from deep, deep Albany who, who didn't, yeah, we're not gonna, we're not gonna out this person, but he, and, and I think it's, uh, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and, um, I think it's important for the story to share where he had this experience. Yes. So sure. I'm gonna go ahead and do that. Yeah, go ahead. All right. So, so he, he writes yesterday on his, on his Facebook, uh, on, on his Facebook page, um, it, with a emoji that says, is feeling disgusted. Deep Albany is feeling disgusted. A letter I sent to Jersey Mike's subcorporate corporate website a few moments ago. Apparently theirs is not quite a culture of food safety. Quote, when your store opened, your subs quickly became our favorite go-to weekend lunch. On a visit about a year ago, though, I noticed an employee handling raw chicken and then handling the ready-to-eat toppings, lettuce, onion, and tomato. I immediately told the people making my food that I could not eat the food they were preparing as it was all now cross-contaminated with raw meat products. I called later that day and spoke with their manager, who assured me that he would correct the problem. Eventually, we went back and gave your store another try, and it was noticeably better until today when I again watched a person loading the grill with raw chicken and beef and then proceeded to handle the ready toppings and bread. It looked like the staff was trying to fill a large online order, and they may have been short-staffed. Honestly, I am not sure, but when I asked the woman who was handling the raw meat if she had at least changed her gloves, she responded, quote, no. I refused to stand and pay for the order as it again appeared it was a, there was egregious cross-contamination between raw and ready products. I plan to call the manager of the store on Monday, but I thought it would be prudent to pass on my observations. When asked why she would handle the raw meat and then the RT toppings without hand wash and glove change, she told me that, quote, the raw meat was packaged so it was okay. From her response, I could tell that she did not fully understand why her actions were so problematic. I am not sure what food safety training your employees received, but the raw meat was only, quote, packaged into portions on wax paper. I am sure that if we tested the wax paper between each portion, we would find the same microbes as on the meat itself. Uh, challenge, challenge, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm a food microbiologist by training and work in the in public health. So as you can imagine, these observations are highly concerning to me. I'm taking the time to write you because I've enjoyed your products and hope that bringing this to your attention improves the uh, food safety of your products. But until the training behaviors change, I'm going to re- respectfully abstain from eating at your restaurant and we'll tell friends and family to do the same. Sincerely, Deep Albany. Um so, uh, and, and just, uh, uh, an update, um, uh, I will, uh, scroll down here. So I received a call back not long after sending the message from a local manager. Interestingly enough, he said the corporate food safety training is that the wax paper is sufficient barrier to cross contamination while handling. But in New York, they added the gloves should be changed and the hands washed after, 
um, handling the raw components. I think I need to call in my CFP friends. Uh, and he, then he name checks us for a consult. And here we are. Yep. So, so yeah. <clears throat> so what do you, what do you, what do you got? What do you think? here? Well, so the problem, so it's a little bit like we don't, I mean, I read and reread the messages several times and it's not exactly clear what the practices were. And then also, I don't, I'm not familiar with the New York food code. I think I do know the FDA model code pretty well, but the issue is that, so of course there needs to be a barrier, right? Um, and so you, you can't, you cannot handle raw meat with your bare hands and then handle ready to eat food with your bare hands. The question is what, are you what what is your what is your bare hand contact barrier that you're using and there's a and there's a bunch of different options right so one option would be to use utensils or a tong so you could take the raw meat um uh using tongs um and put it on the grill so and then then the tongs have to go and be washed you could put on gloves and then handle the meat and then before you handle the the ready to eat foods you would take off your gloves and put on a clean pair of gloves now what the fda model code says is that after that glove change you have to also wash your hands so so the code would require take the gloves off wash your hands put the gloves put clean pair of gloves back on um you could also um, uh, put on gloves, take a piece of wax paper, handle, put the wax paper between the glove and the um, uh, the meat, and put the meat on the grill that way. Throw away the wax paper, and then if you, as long as you didn't touch the raw meat to the gloves, the wax paper is quote unquote serving as a utensil or preventing that bare hand contact. And so you would theoretically, assuming you didn't get meat juice on the glove, um, you could then, uh, handle the ready to eat food with, with the glove. And so, I mean, you know, there, there's, there's a number of ways to solve this problem. Obviously the more barriers or the, the more, the more that you can reduce that possibility of cross-contamination, the better, um, I guess the question is, do what sort of data do we have about preventing cross contamination in those scenarios? And I'm I'm not sure I'm not sure if we have any any. I mean, obviously we don't have data on that exact situation. Um, so I mean, you know, more uh, more barriers are better. Um, but the decision about what the right amount of barriers to be and what the right practice would be that's a risk management decision. Of course, you have to adhere to the code, whatever the local code is. Um, but yeah, so that's my that's kind of my brain dump on the on the the topic. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think you you nailed um, the type of stuff that that I was thinking of, and and this is, I think, one of the this is the the turns out side of things, right? Like the when when sitting when sitting back and viewing this um, as a follow follow the bug as 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 our friend Doug Powell likes to to say, where where might contamination start? Where might it go? Um, you, you look at this and go, you know, this probably isn't the best practice. But I, I think the 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 piece, this this wax paper stuff, and and I'm gonna go. So here's my here's my homework. I, I'm gonna go to Jersey Mike's. There's one not close by. I'm gonna go order some grilled chicken um, and grilled beef and and kind of watch what what happens because I don't fully. I'm I'm with you. I don't fully understand what the process is. But if the process is I'm using wax paper as a barrier, um, and when I portion that that chicken or whatever that wax paper, um, it, it, how whoever whomever 
portioned it and has that wax paper around it. As long as I don't have contamination on that other side of the wax paper, I, I really shouldn't be um, – it, you know, theoretically contaminating my hands. And there's a lot of what ifs there, right? Like there's, and, and this is one of the, as I think about the turns out, um, packaging from a commercial standpoint, turns out can carry pathogens. And we have pretty good um, uh, survey data based on that. Um, in this case, I just don't know enough about it. And, but best, so regulatory wise, are they meeting the mark? I think so. Um, are they managing risk? Um, yes. Are they managing it the way that I would do it if I was running this restaurant? Probably not. But I'm also not, um, I'm also not dealing with all the other, uh, challenges in running a, um, quick serve sandwich type, uh, business. And so I don't, I don't know why some of these decisions are made. And if it is a, um, here's the standard operating procedure, but we deviate from it a little bit and, but then it snowballs. Um, I, I really think that the best practice would be to have some sort of a glove change there, but I don't, I don't know. And, and this is one where I'm, I'm, I'm spending, you, you talked a little bit on Dubai Friday and, and we've talked, you, you and I have talked about, um, doing work, in quick serve, uh, for quick serve businesses, for fast food companies, big ones that, that we would all recognize. Um, you, you and I both do, do some of this stuff where we're either, um, providing information on, on risks or, you know, what's the best way to, to manage things. Maybe you should adjust standard operating procedures. And recently last week, I've, I've been doing more and more of this work for, for a chain that, that folks would, would recognize. And the more that I get into, the back of the house that, you know, that, that kitchen area, the more that I understand why, why decisions are made and how people can not, how people often don't meet the flavor of what the standard operating procedure is because of all the other pressures that are, that are going on. And that's the, I mean, that's the key of, of deep Albany's conversation, right? I don't think that the standard operating procedure we can debate that one, but how it gets implemented and and consistently um, is really the um, is really the question. And I don't have a good I don't really have a good answer for this. I don't think I, I guess the biggest thing that surprised me in this is it, you know Jersey Mike's is not a place that I've I've been to more than a handful of times, and I had no idea that they were um, grilling raw raw chicken or beef in that kind of environment. And I know uh, from our past conversations on Chipotle, that's something that, that happens. I know from, um, uh, other, other places that I've, that, you know, um, Chick-fil-A, uh, uh, Wendy's places that, that advertise this is fully fresh, raw product that's coming in. This is something that they're handling all the time. I just didn't, you know, I, I look at a place like Subway, which I've been to way more times, and I wouldn't think that there's any raw product that's happening. Maybe that's exactly how Jersey Mike's is differentiating, differentiating themselves. But that was the part that I was like, when I saw Deep Albany's message, I was like, wait a second. Are they, is he getting confused? Like, are they just taking pre-cooked chicken and putting it on a grill? And, and it turns out my assumption is no, it's not They're They're really doing raw stuff. Um, and so, yeah, it was, th this is, this is one that I don't, I don't have a good, I don't have a good answer, but I think that turns out is maybe, yeah, you can manage it correctly with, with, with wax paper. It's maybe not the way that I would do it.
Yeah. So yeah, and I just to to hit two points. I think that you hit um, uh, earlier. Th- there's two questions, right? One question is, what is the corporate policy? Okay, and, and and well, really, really four questions. What is the corporate policy, and then is that a good policy? Okay, from a risk prevention standpoint, and then what's the what is the implementation of that policy? Actually, three questions. What does the implementation of that policy look like in the restaurant? Right, because you could have a, a crappy policy um, that's uh, implemented poorly in the restaurant, and you're in trouble. You could have a great policy that's poorly implemented in the restaurant. You could have a, an average policy that's poorly implemented. Right, there's a lot of combinations of, of how you slice that and dice that. And it sounds like it's a it's an okay policy, which sometimes doesn't get very well implemented, which is which is why right. Deep Albany reached out uh, well, why he had his concerns and why he re- eventually, you know, reached out and tagged us in the in the the chain. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So because uh, I this is one that I prepped for, Don. Oh. Um yeah, I don't know if you if you noticed, but I threw something in because as I do, you put stuff in over the two weeks that we don't talk and uh <laughs> twenty minutes before we talk, I'm like, oh my gosh, I should do some work and prep. Um and I did that. Uh I, I Googled like raw meat jersey mics because this is when I was like, wait a second, are they even doing this? Um and uh there was a review from TripAdvisor where I go get all of my uh best uh, restaurant reviews from uh a, of a jersey mics in Claremont, Florida, where I don't actually know where that is. Um, but it's, uh, somewhere there's a Jersey Mike's there and a review from January 31st, 2017 from, um, Meg rock 12 that says, uh, one star sub with the side of raw meat. First off, let me say, I love Jersey Mike's until I saw how they handled their food. If you've ever gotten sick from eating Jersey Mike's in Claremont, this is the reason why they do not change their gloves after touching raw meat, raw meat, including uncooked chicken and uncooked beef. We've witnessed several times the employees touching raw chicken or raw beef and then touching the bread and cheese, et cetera, blah, 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 blah. So, um, it sounds like, uh, what, what, um, deep Albany is seeing is, is, is absolutely as, as was responded from his, his message, what, what Jersey Mike's does, um, and, and they're making a risk management decision. You know, I, what's missing from Meg Rock's, uh, review is whether they were using wax paper or not, uh, in between, but, but definitely saying you should change your gloves after touching you know, this, this raw meat. So it's, so we, I mean, as my friend uh, Jeff Sheik would say, uh, who I used to go golfing with a lot at the University of Guelph, um, if I can put two points on the line or two points on on a graph and draw a line uh, through it, then it's a trend. So here we are. <laughs> here we are. We have a trend. We, we have, have a trend. We have two points. We've got to try two points. And we can draw a line through them. Um, so, but anyway, this. So I. I I mean, uh, we, we have, there, there are at least four other people other than, um, than your mom who listens to this podcast. Uh, and <laughs> your mom I, listens to this podcast. My mom, your, no, your mom does. Uh, yeah, my mom does too. Uh, so <laughs> at least four other people other than our moms. Um, if, if there's someone who, uh, wants to call in and give us some information from deep Jersey, Mike, deep Mike, deep Jersey, uh, whatever code name, just give us a little more background on this. I think it's, it's worth, it's worth talking about a, a little bit more because I, I, I'd, I'd like to understand a little bit more about the risk management decision. And, and, and as you said, it's, it's really two things. What, why is the, is it a bad policy? 
um, that's that, that's implemented correctly, or is it a good policy that's implemented incorrectly? And and I I think this is this is exactly the kind of stuff we want to keep talking about. Is this is a food safety in real everyday life thing, um, and and having having people have their eyes open looking for this kind of stuff. You know, they're they're woke on this now, Don. Um, <laughs> our listeners, uh, just to uh, to let us you know to to let us in because this is the this is the this is the goal. This is the kind of stuff that I like. I really like talking about. So thanks to Deep Deep Albany who had not, I think, posted this with the thought that we would spend uh, 20 minutes or so talking about uh, about the situation. But this is yeah, I, I I love this kind of stuff. This is exactly where we need to be. Well and you know one of my favorite things to do now is when whenever I think about food safety at a given institution, um, one of my things that I like to do is to say, hey, I wonder if um, any of them are members of um, IAFP. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so have you, do, uh, is this a uh, uh, update? Uh, is this a real-time follow-up? Yeah, this is real-time follow-up. Um, if you go on, to, if you're a member of IAFP and you go on to the website, foodprotection.org and you, uh, and you're a member and you log in, you can get access to the member directory. Um, and, uh, when I did that, um, I, I typed in Jersey, and uh, two hits came up. Got um, one's you. No, no, no. I, I didn't know. The, 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 the directory search is smart enough to not put me in, apparently. Um, or at least I, I don't have, uh, I don't have uh, maybe I put Rutgers University in the company name. But um, two hits come up, uh, both uh, linked to a company called Rutgers, comma, the State University of New Jersey. <laughs> um, and one of whom is my graduate student. So, oh. um, <laughs> so, so yeah, so no, no Jersey mics. Uh, so I'll, I'll search again for, for Mike this time, um, and see, uh, not, not in the name, but in the uh, company field. Um, and we'll see what we find. Uh, but I'm, I'm not holding out. Uh, nope. Um, uh, nothing, uh, nothing there. So I, uh, you know what, let's, let's just as a check, let's, let's type in another company, um, that we know does have people. Let's type in Publix. Oh, look yeah. at that. Uh, five oh. people from Publix. And uh, I know uh, two of them. So there you go, three of them. So yeah, so so obviously food companies, you can find food companies by name. Um, let's, oh, let's, you know what? Let's uh, let's try here, another one. Go ahead. Here's, here's one of the things too that um, as as you and I have worked um, increasingly, I think with with these other similar type companies, one of the things that that I've heard from um, from the folks that we're trying to help out with is a, a a frustration, an ongoing struggle of corporate versus franchisees. Yep. And and this is you know as I go to to Jersey Mike's. Um, you know, LinkedIn because I was like Jersey. Mike's oh yeah, food yeah. Food safety. Yeah. Um, it's all it's all like how do you become a franchisee? Yep. Yep. Fifteen hundred yep. spots. Here you yep. go. Yep. And that's you know that that's a that that's a, a a real a real thing, right? So you may have a great corporate culture, but um, it all falls apart when you've got um, uh, a, a franchisees who don't buy into that that are that are good at making money. But maybe not good at um, at doing things the way that that the entire uh, chain wants to do it. Well, so. here's the thing: there is someone at Jersey Mike's who is in charge of food safety. Okay, they are just not a member of IAFP. Shame on them. 
right? Yeah. That's, that's the problem. I mean, I, yeah, I understand like, you know, but there should be like, I, I typed in a bunch of names of other companies, Walmart, McDonald's, for example, and guess what? People's names showed up. So those people are members of the premier food safety association. So not that I'm shilling for IAFP, but I'm kind of shilling for IAFP, right? Like if you're, if you are, every, every food company should have someone who is a member of IAFP. And maybe, maybe that's IAFP's fault, right? Maybe we're not doing a good enough job um, promoting our brand, but gee whiz. Yeah, well, no. here we go. Oh, here I'm gonna here I'm gonna give a call out. This is this is of course the best way to do this, right? Right, Don. Um, so I just found I just uh, searched LinkedIn for Jersey Mike's food safety, and uh, there was no one that came up except a, a person who had a title. Well, there are a few people that came up, but there was a title of regional vice president of operations at Jersey Mike's Sub, and I was like, oh, uh, the guy's name is uh, Christopher Daniels. Clicked on it, and uh, guess where he lives. Raleigh, North Carolina. (laughs) So uh, he is a vice president of franchise operations, overseeing operations, training, real estate, and new store development in all of North Carolina, Virginia, and East Tennessee. So, um, yeah, let me uh, let me see what uh, what we can find out here because this might be a uh, might be a person who wants to talk about us. Talk to us, or based based on this conversation, maybe not at all. Not at all. Yeah. Uh, But if uh, if if anyone knows uh, Christopher Daniels, um, and uh, you know, reach reach out to us and let's talk uh, more about this. Of course. Uh, Don't get hey listeners, don't get creepy. Don't go don't go messaging him unless you actually know him. Or or uh, you know, send him a send him a LinkedIn request. Yeah, link link up with him. Maybe I'll do that. That's. Not a bad idea. All right. I'm not finding this guy. So I typed in uh, Jersey Mike food safety. Let me try Jersey Mike's. That's what I did with no, uh, no, no apostrophe. Yeah. I don't know if I, how do I link? I don't, uh, oh, well, if, is he, is he, if he's not a, like a second degree connection or third degree connection, he's a third. Oh, we're a third degree. We're third degree. We, uh, Eskimo brothers. What's his name? <laughs> Christopher Daniels. All right. I'm just going to type Christopher Daniels. Send this is now. great. This is great radio. Yeah, this is really good. Send now. There you go. I just asked. That's. Let me tell you, Don. That is the first person in my LinkedIn career that I have requested oh. to be like. This is it. I every broke, every I, wait. Every everyone else has always sent the request to you. That's it. That, yes. Yeah. I'm a uh, link. You. My LinkedIn um, uh, strategy is do the least amount possible. And once a month, I will go and I right now I'll give you the my network has thirty four notifications, and all I do is <laughs> just go. I just click through and go accept, 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 and uh, I'm sure this is how the bots get you, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm accepting right now. This is my link. This is it. This is LinkedIn. Uh, all right. So anyway, good. Well, look Thank at this. You. So so he used to be vice president of franchise franchisee operations in Mattisquan, New Jersey. So uh, and he went to Georgian Georgian Court College right here in New Jersey. So I am going to. Oh, you know what? I can't. Huh? I, he's a third. Can I? Connect. Well, yeah. Yes, connect. Yeah, yeah, you connect. That's what I had to do. Send now. We'll see. He's going to be very suspicious. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is going to be. This is it. And he won't. Yeah, you know, of course. This this episode won't post until later, right? Like all of a sudden, he doesn't know what's going on. Oh, uh, good, good, good. All right, all right. That's good. That's that's good radio right there. Yeah. Um. Okay. So other, I got other. You things know what? All of our all of our fruit, all of our food safety friends. Should send him a LinkedIn request. No, don't do, don't do that. Don't do. See, don't that's do what that. I was don't like. Don't file on. Don't do that. Don't, don't do, that. do that. Don't do that. 
Um, yeah. Uh, okay. So I, I want to um, I want to revisit uh, a topic that I talked about on an episode a, a while ago, um, really, really briefly, and uh, mentioned back in early September. One of my mentors um, and advisors um, and and advocates and and really um, very very close close friend. Um, who's also a friend of friend of the of the podcasts, close friend uh, Doug Powell's close friend, uh, a guy named Gord Surgener. Um, his his wife uh, passed away really unexpectedly in in September, and uh, her name is Shirley Surgener. And last weekend uh, there was a, a celebration of life for for Shirley, and and so I, I returned to the Guelph area. Um, and I say the Guelph area, actually legitimately Guelph, uh, Ontario and, and, and caught up with a bunch of people who I've known for a long time and, and, and from the, the food and agriculture world to, to celebrate Shirley's life. But, and, and it was, it was pretty, it was uh, a reflective weekend and it was, it was really emotional. I'm, I'm very close to, um, to, to both, uh, you know, uh, Gord and, um, and two of Gordon and Shirley's, uh, kids, uh, Jaden Bray, who, who both were students, um, in our, in our lab, uh, in, you know, in, in Doug's lab when I was a graduate student. And, um, but what I, what I wanted to, to share was something that, that kind of happened during the, um, uh, this celebration life. There's a lot of people that spoke and there was a student who had met Shirley as part of an alumni, um, uh, celebration, uh, and, uh, at, at the university of Guelph. And, um, one of the, one of the things that, that struck me, um, this, the student talked about, um, you know, she, 15 years ago, they planned this hundred year celebration together and, and her and Shirley had, had sort of kept in loose contact since then, but not, not really, really close. Um, and, but, um, you know, she was, she was invited to, to speak because that, that relationship meant a lot to, to Shirley and, and Shirley kind of often, uh, shared that with, with, the, with the family and in the, and I, I can't remember, um, the former students, name, but one of the things that she shared that reminded me of IAFP and of, um, Gary Acuff's Ivan Parkin lecture and our, my experience and, and things that we've talked about. In fact, how this podcast happened is just to like, sometimes when you're, when you're a person who, um, sees others that you admire or you admire their work or you, you're not, you, you don't want to bother them, you know, in, in a, in a sense, like you don't think you don't want to burden them with like, Hey, I want to reach out to them and tell them, um, about how important the stuff that they do is to me. Um, the, the student kind of said something that was like, don't, don't do that. Like, uh, you know, don't, if you think of someone and, and there's a reason that you think of them and you think, you know, I should really reach out to them. Go ahead and do that because you never know when people are no longer with us. Right. And, and and that's the one of the things about about IAFP that that you and I have talked about a lot um, is just that accessibility in our food safety world of people who who are who've been around who've seen stuff who who have all these experiences and um, sure there are people out there that that are um, that can be um, jerks about stuff but the you know the vast majority ninety nine percent plus if if you're listening to this and there are people that you know. 
that or that you don't know but you admire their stuff, reach out to them. And if you make a connection with someone um, and and you you know there's something that's happened in your life because of that connection, share that back with them because because I don't think we do that um, enough in in general. And it was it was just something that was really like striking in that in that moment. So I yeah, just and let me and let me and let me and let me just share a real quick uh, that triggered a, a reflection or rem, a, rem, a remembrance in my mind. Um, and this is before this is a long time ago. So this is the early 2000s before I was before I was actually uh, Doctor Don. Um, uh, <laughs> on the internet. And, uh, I had, I had an issue with testing for salmonella and I, I just didn't know, like somebody told me something about how salmonella testing was going on and it didn't seem quite right to me. Um, but I wasn't sure. And I was like, well, geez, I need to find a salmonella expert. Who's a salmonella expert. Well, it turns out it's this guy, Stan Bailey, um, who's at USDA, uh, Russell research. And I did not, I've since, since then Stan, Stan and I have become good friends. He's also a past president of IAFP, but at the time uh, he, didn't know me from Adam, right? And I picked up the phone and I called him on the phone because that's what you did. Um, uh, and I could have sent him an email, but I called him on the phone. I said, hey, um, hi, you don't know me, but I'm a professor at Rutgers University. And um, this is what somebody told me about testing for salmonella. What can you tell me? And he's like, no, no, that's you're right. You're absolutely right to question that. That's not not the right procedure. Here's what you need to do. And, and I was like, wow. And he just picked up the phone on like the second ring and he just took as much time as he needed to talk with me and he was happy to do it, right? And that's just like, I don't always, like, and again, and he didn't. He didn't know me. He didn't have to do that. Right. He, he didn't have to give me the time of day. But yet he did. And that's. And I'll always. And I don't know if I've ever told him that story since we become become friends. But I'm always very grateful for that. That's yeah. And I mean, I think that that exemplifies the the what you know what I was. I think having trouble articulating is it, it, we're all. Oh, I don't know. We're we're all different, right? But but there's insecurities in in all of us. And one of the things that that I think keeps me from reaching out to people sometimes is like is exactly that. Like, ah, they don't want to hear from me, or they're not gonna answer, or they're not gonna, you know, be be um they, they don't have time, they don't have time for this. And on the other side of things, like sometimes receiving some of those calls, it's really it's it's nice not not just to be like hey can you tell me about this but also to have this feeling this is part of the reason why I like to coach hockey is like have this feeling at the end of like oh you know that person didn't have a piece of information or didn't have something before and I just gave them something and that's as a someone who's in the world of public health and um, and really like uh, you know public public institutions that's what what makes that's what drives what drives me so don't so so don't feel like you shouldn't reach out to people because you think that they're gonna be burdened by it um if they're if they're gonna be burdened by it they're not gonna answer but 90 not, you know like so i don't know what the percentage is but the vast majority of the time they're gonna answer and and they might have that connection that goes on um you know for for a long for a long time so so anyway it was yeah it's one of those things where was, as i was thinking back standing there seeing this really emotional um this really emotional speech i was like you know either yeah and i'm yeah this is this is the nerd in me don so i go to my notes um, and, or my drafts app on my phone as this is going on. I was like, well, here are the six people I should send messages to. So, oh, wow. Nice. Right. Like, like, and, and did right. And there it's like, here are the, these are people that, that matter to me that I don't probably tell them that enough and they might not even know. And we haven't spoken to each other in, in 10 years, but, um, but it's good to just re reconnect and be like, Hey, thanks. Thanks for being, thanks for not being a, a, a douchebag. And, yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> So, because who doesn't want to hear that? Right, right. I want to. I want to hear that. I yeah. 
Um, oh, and we hit everything. Oh, I got, I have two more things on my list. Okay. Um, and then we can, and then we have listener feedback and we have other stuff to yep. talk about. Yep. Um, okay. So two other things are quick ones. Uh, one is the, in the ongoing, uh, history of Canadian cuisine. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I posted on uh, on the Instagram, on Facebook, and on Twitter of my. I went again. I was a uh, Canadian correspondent, uh, like uh, a month and a half ago when I ate some poutine in Quebec City. This time, I will be uh, talking about Tim Hortons uh, as a national institution. We have talked about Tim Hortons a lot. I so think I talked is- about Tim Hortons on the last episode, or so, uh, what did I? I got something that oh, I got a Tim Hortons. Um, oh, in in uh, in Buffalo, I think I got Tim Hortons. Right. Yeah, yeah you got Tim Hortons. So so I don't think we talked about it okay um but i but i wanted to get it, it is i mean if we're t- we've done nanaimo bars we've done female bacon we've done uh poutine um uh butter tarts so this is in the canonical catalog of canadian cuisine tim hortons cannot be left off and i wanted to to highlight that i was able to um eat um Oh, we did Canadian Thanksgiving last time. Uh, I was able to eat uh, or drink a coffee that I ordered a regular, not a double-double. And there's lots of different uh, uh, ways that you can order uh, coffee. A double-double is two creams, two sugar. A regular is one cream, one sugar, which is not how I drink my coffee now when it's not at Tim Hortons. Uh, but that's what I what I had when I was back in Canada. And I also received, uh, for an extra dollar, a pack of hockey cards. Oh, hockey th- cards. Right? Where, where <laughs> can you go? Where you get a, a a double double and and some hockey cards. So nowhere anyway, else but Tim Hortons. <laughs> exactly. Add that to the list. Tim Hortons named after, um, and we have talked about this, but a guy who uh, was a hockey player for the Buffalo Sabers and the Toronto Maple Leafs, who opened uh, a restaurant with his name and uh, then died uh, drunk driving uh, on the way home from a hockey game, and will ever be remembered for uh, the uh, most. Uh, uh, ubiquitous coffee shop in Canada. And his name wasn't uh, even Tim. It was Miles Gilbert, it, known as Tim. What? Really? I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, according to the Wikipedia page, well, Miles, Miles Gilbert, Richard Fingers, Tim, closed Richard, Richard Fingers, Horton. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, there you go. Miles Horton. Yeah. I'm on my way to the Miles. <laughs> uh, so, uh, all right. So that was that. Was that. Now, I got, another, I got another thing for you, and this is one where I've got to ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Without revealing stuff, okay. but I need your I need your advice. Okay, I'm ready. Okay. So, all right. Okay. So, um, <laughs> I received uh, an email. Oh, was it about ninjas? <laughs> it was not about ninjas. But thanks to Matt Moore for telling us all about ninjas, and now we answer every email with ninjas. ninjas. Will every ninjas? Um, okay. And this is a real legitimate email, okay. and I need I got a phone call with 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 the person who sent this, um, who who I will call deep sanit deep disinfectant, okay, uh, on Wednesday. A good afternoon. We spoke earlier a little while back on a disinfectant. With that said, we would like to run a trial on the sample we have by itself, or with the poultry clinical trial we are also running. Please let me know a good time for my partner and I. I will call um, deep. Uh, uh, I will call him deep disinfectant too to speak with you in the in regards. Thanks. This is an email that um, I received. That would be never. <laughs> never so, would be a good time for me. Does that work for well, you? It is not. So I'm gonna I'm gonna follow up. I have scheduled a time. I will be speaking with them uh, with deep disinfectant one, deep disinfectant two this week. And so so I I had to like 
trigger my my brain a little bit on this. And I was like, I spoke to you earlier about it. It was like, I don't know this. I can't like place this name. So I go back into the history of Gmail, and I do find that in um, in October 2015, I did speak with this person about quote disinfectant. Huh. <laughs> And so I don't know, and and again, this is not without, I don't, they didn't really share much, but basically they wanted to know, and this is the the follow-up, because my message was, uh, I was like, hey, can we do 9 a.m. on October 31st? Um, And then I got a response from Deep Disinfectant 2, said we can definitely accommodate, yet are very motivated to move forward with you. Do you have any sooner, sooner time open? Even a day in the weekend would work for us. Yeah, based on this follow-up from a message that we sent back to you three years ago. Yes, yeah, yeah. And so my response was, hey, sorry, I'm coaching a hockey tournament this weekend. Um, tied up all day Monday and, and Tuesday with projects. Wednesday is really the earliest. I can dedicate more than 10 minutes. And then uh, a response of, we understand. In the meantime, we will try to send you what limited information we can without an NDA in place. Essentially, we're trying to figure out the correct path to getting a, quote, disinfectant cleared for use as well as run a clinical trial on it. Um, in addition, should we start with the EPA or local regulatory department or is the larger question is going to, how, how is the larger question? Is it going to be the use of how it does have multiple applications such as quote, agriculture, veterinary, human, what is the path of least resistance? Well, I think if you're going to run a clinical trial, step number one is get like $3 million. So once you have $3 million, then let's talk. Well, and so here, so uh, this is a legit, because I'm going to have a conversation with these guys and I'm going to basically tell them all the stuff that you're going to tell me. So, it, so I, my, my assumption here is that they, they have a compound that is proprietary that they think is really good at being a quote disinfectant. What I really think they want to do is have a sanitizer, right? Yep. A disinfectant is not something that you and I deal with uh, very much in the world of food, whether it be a hand application or a surface, contact surface, food contact surface application or not food contact surface. We're really talking about sanitizers. And so if they're going to use a, if they're going to make a hand sanitizer out of this, which I don't know they are, that's an EPA question, right? Like, or, or that's, sorry, that's a cedar question. Because that hand sanitizer is like a a drug, right? I don't know. I don't even know where to start with that. Uh, yeah, if, it, if it's if it's hands, it's cedar. If it's surfaces, it's EPA. Okay, and then they need to figure out how to register with the EPA. Now, do they need if they're going to make a a food contact surface sanitizer? Do they to make to put claims on it? Do they need clinical trials? No, I think so. Right, like they just need to. If they they just need to say here are the things that that we do, and then they have to try and get it registered with EPA, right? But and, EPA, like, yeah, but the but the where Cedar comes into it, and this is this is how Cedar basically shut down the uh, antimicrobial soap business is basically said to soap manufacturers, look, if you want to have antimicrobial soap, you have to do a clinical trial and prove to us that it's actually effective because we think it's not effective. We think that antimicrobial soap is no more effective than than bland soap, right? Which, again, research would show, and again, my research would show, funded by the Soap and Detergent Association and others. Big um, soap. Big soap. Big soap. All mobbed up in big soap. Washed up. Washed up in big soap. Um, uh, Exactly. Um, uh, You know, it's you know that that you would need that, but I I don't know. These these guys seem like 
complete, honestly, my honest opinion is these guys seem like complete rookies and you need to spend as little time as possible with them. Um, give them lots of homework and hope they never come back. Well, five, three years is pretty good, right? I think I probably gave him some. Yeah, that was good. Time. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I will, I'm going to talk to them and maybe there's more to this than, than I know, but I, this was one of those ones where it's like, we're talking disinfectant and sanitizers and I know there's different places to go and no, the local regulatory department is not the first place you want to go with this. If you're you know going to the Wake County public health to say, Hey, I have this new, um, sanitizer, and that I want to market just in Wake County. How do I do that? That's not that's not the right approach. No. You want to do something, you got it. Like it is, um, you do need to go to, to EPA. You need to go through the registration process, and you're not looking at a disinfectant. In my at least, maybe you are looking for a disinfectant. I'm not the right person to talk to. If it's a sanitizer, I, I can give you the right right way to start. So right, and and I would say honestly, if if they are nice guys and you want to help them, what you should do is encourage them to spend a little bit of money. And find out is the stuff any better than plain water, or or how yep. does the stuff compare to, let's say, Clorox bleach? Like what what is special about this? Why is somebody going to buy this? Is it natural? Is it green? Um, is it super duper effective? And then just like compare it to plain water, compare it to Clorox bleach, and compare it to I don't know quats, you know, quaternary ammonia yeah, yeah. compound, right? And then just yep. like f- fund some research in Leanne Jacobs's laboratory for a couple of thousand dollars or tens of thousands of dollars, and 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 be prepared to be disappointed because honestly, and and don't you know, and I, if they have data that they, I mean, you know, again, uh, people people go and do these experiments and they they don't properly design them, they don't run the proper controls. And they think that they have something really special, and they don't. They have something that's just, I mean, honestly, if it was that easy, somebody would have already done it, which which reminds right, right. me of, of a great story, which I, I think I've told on the podcast, but it bears telling again. And, and you know, again, every time there's a big food poisoning or food safety story in the news, these people come out of the woodworks, they, they, they contact university people. Um, I was once contacted by a, a couple, a husband and wife couple, who had a great idea for food safety, and they just needed a little bit of help with some of the technical details, okay? Oh, all right, I'm listening. And, I'm a, and so yeah, I'm their, yes. their idea was... Like and they watch a lot of true crime, you know, crime stuff, right? So I and of course I, Robots. I no, no, I no, 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 no. Luminol, Ben. You know what luminol is, right? Luminol, you, yeah, yeah. So luminol is great. Luminol, you you spray it around and it causes the the blood to basically fluoresce, and you can find that if there's been a murder. Well, so their idea, okay, was luminol except for for foodborne pathogens, right? And I'm like, yeah. this is a this great is a idea. great this is a great idea. Tell me more. And they're like, well. That's the idea. We just need the te- you to work out the technical details. <laughs> like we're we're just ideas people. Just, yeah. So it's like, oh, okay, great. So your idea is luminol, except for foodborne pathogens, and yeah. then in and then the the yeah. but the, diff, the, the we have to go from that idea to an actual product, and that all of that is just technical details that I'm going to fill in for you. Oh, right. you know, yeah. that's such a great well, idea. I had never thought of that before. Um, I will now go and do that. <laughs> yeah, this is great. All right. Well, Luminol, I hope, I mean, I hope you didn't send, sign an NDA and that they're going to listen oh, to this. Oh, gosh. I probably, I probably did because they had a really good idea, Ben. Um, anyway, yeah. So, a draw, drawbacks, uh, according to Wikipedia on Luminol, um, there are some, some drawbacks. Uh, horseradish sauce via the enzyme horseradish peroxidase, peroxidase. catalyzes the oxidation of Luminol, emitting light at uh, 428 nanometers, which may result in a false positive. So, 
uh, I guess the Luminol would work great, except if you're at Arby's. (laughs) 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 Oh, oh, Don, Luminol reacts with fecal matter, causing the same glow as if it were blood. We just need to use Luminol. Luminol for fecal matter (laughs) is Luminol. There you go. All you need to do is go to to, uh, Wikipedia. There you go. Look at that. Oh, well, there you go. There you go. See, excessive smoke. I think uh, luminol, I think luminol will work perfectly for this. Which <laughs> it is toxic. <laughs> so don't put it on the things that you're going to eat. Right, right. Uh, anyway, that was, so I did, I did a bunch of, uh, I did a bunch of work and those were all the things we hit. We hit everything on my, uh, on my list. All right. Well, I got a couple things I want to talk about, but let's do let's do some uh, feedback follow up. Okay. So, all right. So this one comes from our friend uh, Deep Caparina, who used to be uh, Deep Cheesy Bread, um, <laughs> who's who's our Brazilian connection. And so uh, he has uh, two questions. Uh, he says, um, uh, "Let's see." Um, uh, and this actually relate. This actually relates to some of our earlier discussions about about uh, chickens, but not but not from the food safety cross contamination point of view. So um, he says, a while back when I was living in Brazil, there used to be a practice, and yeah, and I actually want to get your take on this. Um, I have yeah. an answer, but I want to get your take. A, a while back when I was living in Brazil, there used to be a practice of the slaughterhouse placing two expiration dates on whole chickens. The first date, quote, if stored in the refrigerator, and the second, quote, if stored in freezer. The second date was two weeks. Um, uh, basically uh, past the first. So let's say the first date was today. The second date uh, would be two weeks from today, okay? More than once, uh, one day, or actually more than once, he writes, I noticed the stock boy taking all the chickens out of the refrigerator and moving them over to the freezer on the date of this first expiration date. (laughs) He He mentioned to the stock boy, I don't think that's how it works, but the stock boy assured him that is how it works. What are your thoughts on that? Okay, so I this is uh, I'll, I'll give uh, Deep Caprina. This is how I manage uh, food safety. Well, food spoilage in my own home is exactly this, um, but it's probably uh, exactly not how it works in the retail setting, uh, or how it how it should work. Right. So so the idea and all right, let's let's let, let's go back to the beginning and say okay, well if we have two different dates on here, what do what are those dates based on? What are we trying to control? in, in those dates. And it really is a subjective quality indicator uh, would be one. Right. Right. And, um, and then more, I guess, less subjective would be the, the creation of gas formers. Well, not the creation that we're not talking like, uh, spontaneous generation generation stuff, but, uh, the, the gas formers that are already there will grow under those refrigerated conditions or, um, yeah, and, and create some, you know, some other, other smelly kind of stuff. Right. So that's what those, that's what the refrigeration temperature, um, or refrigeration date I think is, is based on the freezer date is probably based on some other subjective quality attribute on frozen side of things, right? Like that, um, freezer burns probably not the right term, uh, to use here. Cause it, that, that has other, um, aspects, but it's probably yeah. like, 
um, oxidation. Yeah, right? it's yeah, it's oxidation of the fats, and and honestly, it shouldn't be like two weeks in the future. It's probably more like six months, right? I mean, right, because the, right. the shelf lives are radically different. There's not a, a two week difference there. And well, I guess unless you you store it in the refrigerator until the first date, right? Uh, right, right. Well, yeah. So that so that's I mean that's how I manage stuff. Sometimes is I will take a look at this. It's really the sell by date that I'm using here in the U.S. Right. as my guide. If I've purchased, you know, thinking that we're we we don't do a lot of this any anymore, but there are some times where I'm gonna um, I'll, I'll purchase a bunch of stuff at the start of the week, plan out our meals, and then when we get four days into the week or five days into the week, and we kind of skipped out on our schedule based on other things that are going on, I'll go and be like, okay, are there any raw meat items that I was planning on using within this four or five day window that I'm no longer going to do, and I'm going to move under the freezer. I know that it's not going to get better. This isn't a, you know, call it a Roderick on the line kind of approach of, well, if if it's, if I freeze it, I'll just forget about it and it's going to get better. I know it's not going to get better. <laughs> it's not going to get any better. Yeah. It's not going to get any better. All I'm going to do is just halt that spoilage from, from happening. And I'm probably going to use it in a different way. I'm going to use it in a, um, in a, um, you know, a long cook, low temperature kind of way. I may use it in a crock pot, whatever it is, um, that I may thaw it again, whatever it is. I'm, I'm, I know that I've, I've kind of reduced the quality of the product, but I am using that, that sell by as a guide for me because that I make the assumption that if it, if the sell by is there, that, that those temperature, those times are based on being held in a, uh, you know, in that retail case, and my fridge, we're, we're on the cold side, Don. I don't yep. know if you are like, yep, we're, we're at sure. the 30, 36, 37 usually. Um, and so I, I think I can follow that guide. Um, but yeah, yeah, I actually don't have a problem with what the stock boy did by moving them to frozen. Um, it's not, I mean that if that was their standard operating procedure, it's, you know, it's, it's probably going to be a less quality product, but it's not going to be a less safe product. Right. Right. Exactly. And th- this is raw chicken, so it's already unsafe, right? So the yeah. issue is is consumer quality. And yeah, it's not it's not a best practice, but it's it's not a it's it's not a horrible practice, uh, you know. And again, it, and you really you're just dealing with with quality. And if people buy the frozen chicken and they, they'll see the date on it. And so they'll, they'll know, um, if they know what this practice is. Um, and if you buy, honestly, if you, if you keep going back to that store and you keep buying chicken, that's nasty, you'll stop buying chicken from that store. Right. And you'll, right. you'll, you'll find a better store. So, and, and as long as you cook it, it, it'll be, it'll be safe. And even though it might already be, uh, spoiled. So exactly. Yeah. 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 So your your question your question about gas formers reminds me of a story of one of my first extension assignments where I was a meat company in New Jersey and the guy came down. He's like, yeah. So we keep having this problem with our packages um, during their shelf life, like they blow up, right? Because of gas formation. And he's like, I we we need a technical solution. He's like, so what can you recommend as a packaging film that will let the gas out <laughs> so that they don't blow up? Because when they keep blowing up like that, people keep rejecting them. And I'm like, I don't think it works that way. I think you have a sanitation problem. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm sure there's some kind of, well, I'm not really a packaging expert, so I can't really help you with that. I'm sorry. So anyway, that was a, that was interesting, yeah, interesting uh, uh, experience. Um, Okay. So we'll go back to uh, Deep Caparina's second question. He says, um, 
Okay, and this is a this is a technical question from his work in the food industry. He says, "I'm trying to uh, better a process or improve a process that includes mixing, measuring, and mixing two parts milk, two parts water, one part oil, and some salt. This is usually done at production time. The process begins with bringing the mixture to a boil, not maintaining a boil, but bringing it to a boil. I would like the night shift to do this mixture twelve hours earlier and store in a three to four degrees fridge until morning production, assuming proper hygiene." workers and environment, any red flags with that, would the night shift still need to do a thermal treatment before storing? Uh, the total volumes are relatively small, two liters or less, so heat up and cool down in a production environment would be quick at all steps. So um, I'll give my reaction first, and then and then we'll, we'll see if you have any comments on that. So I, my first, my assumption is the milk that he's talking about is, is pasteurized milk, like that he's, that he's using for some industrial process, that not, not raw milk that they're making safe. Um, right, right. So, and let's let's assume that the raw milk contains listeria, even though we, it doesn't. But but that's going to be the risk that we're going to need to manage, or that we're going to choose to manage. And so, basically, um, if you run some computer models and you look at listeria growth over twelve hours at three degrees or four degrees, it's about one doubling of the cells. So one cell going to two cells, or ten cells going to twenty cells, and and three degrees is a little bit less than that. Four degrees is a little bit more than that. But essentially, it's a very minimal increase in listeria. And as long as you're going to heat it the next day, you've, you've mitigated that risk. So relatively, relatively small risk. So that's, that's my reaction. Do you have anything, any other uh, comments you want to make on that? No, I mean, the only thing that, that I, I didn't think you talked about um, is the part of some salt. Mm. And oh, some, yeah. Right. Like, I'm assu- yeah, I'm assuming salt doesn't no, have any effect. So, right, yeah. right, right, right. And so it's a, it, it kind of depends on how much is some salt, because that also could um, could really slow that slow that growth or right. or even halt it. But it's uh, but it's but it's not gonna it's not gonna make it. There's no, there's nothing right. I've left out that's good, that that's a that I've missed some food safety issue. No. Yeah, no, no, you're good. Yeah. You're good. Good, good, good yep. point. Okay, so um, so the next feedback is about uh, uh, well, it's from a listener that we'll call uh, uh, Deep Dog uh, or Deep Dog Treats. Um, so he says uh, this message came across in the company newsletter where I work. Are there any questions that I should ask the catering manager. Um, so um, uh, Waste Not Wag A Lot is a new initiative in the cafe that turns food scraps that would otherwise be thrown away into healthy treats for dogs. Um, on an upcoming date, the treats will be available in the cafe and all money generated will be donated to the Humane Society of a local county. Don't have a pup of your own yet? Want to help support a local shelter? Donate a bag of snacks for only $1. Um, so, so the, so the, the question is like, based on that, um, are there, are there any, uh, questions? Uh, so, so deep, deep dog treat says, are there any questions I should ask the, the catering manager? So, um, yeah. yeah so Ooh. what, what, uh, what are your thoughts? Well, and who's doing it is the first, is the first yep. part, right? Yep. Right. Is this, uh, the catering manager that, that goes back into the kitchen and then reprocesses this food for dog treats? Um, if the, if that's the case, are they, um, and this will get all FSPCA nerdiness mm-hmm. on, on our part, but are they, are they using uh, a preventive control step for um, animal food, which, you know, th- this is probably exempt, uh, you know, based just based on um what they're what they're doing maybe not though i mean it depends on how things are calculated and if this is if they're selling these uh to the humane society depending on what the net 
um, income is of this um, uh, of this this cafeteria, they may not be exempt. They may be a food processor at this point, um, and they don't even know it. But I mean, it comes down to regardless of whether it's regulatory or not, it's who's doing it, how are they doing it, and and you you mentioned this in your response. Are there temperature controls? Are the thir- the treats thermally processed? I mean, I would I would treat scraps, even though they're cooked scraps, as raw incoming meat, because you you don't know what potential what pathogens may have been deposited there post service, and we're talking about a post service product. So you're you're now like reprocessing it just like it was a raw chicken treat for dogs. Um, and so treating it that way and having a preventive control, I think would be, would be fine. We, I mean, this is something we've talked about, um, a bunch dog treats, um, biscuits, uh, dog food. There's a whole bunch of outbreaks that are related to that. Um, and in fact, one that's going on, um, well, that, that, that ended relatively, uh, not not relatively, relatively recently. Um, so yeah, it, that's, that's where I, that's what I wanted to know who, who's doing it. What are they doing? How are they controlling for pathogens? Those are the three questions I'd ask. Yeah. And the other thing that just occurred to me is like, what are there things that dogs are sensitive to or that are allergic to that humans are not? So one of the things oh, I know yeah. is that mustard, uh, for example, is an emetic for dogs, right? And so, uh, are, are, are any of these food scraps going to have mustard on them? How are you going to exclude that so that you don't expose the, the dogs to that? Um, and then the other thing that I'll add, this is not related to dogs, but we do, um, we have a huge cafeteria system at Rutgers. I've talked about it many times. Um, they generate a lot of plate waste. Um, they have a system, uh, where they sell that plate waste to pig farmers and, uh, post, uh, uh, po- you know, they, they salvage that, but they, they, they remove those food scraps from uh, the plate waste. Um, and then they have basically a giant machine, uh, that cooks it. And, and holds it and waits for the pig farmer to come and pick it up, pick it up. So, so if you want to do this at scale, there are definitely some things that you need to think about. And, and yeah, so, and again, to, and as you said before, my, my comments really, really, I think your question about who's going to do it is a good one. My comments quotes that focus mostly on like, what are they going to do? What are the times? Yep. What are the temperatures? Um, all of that. So, okay, good. So I think we've given some, some good feedback to, uh, to deep dog there. Um, okay. And so the last, uh, last bit of feedback and I have two, two, two well, one, at least one more thing I want to talk about, but I think we're doing good on time. And so, um, so this is, um, um, some feedback uh, or follow-up uh, from Geneseo. And so this is <clears throat> an essay um, submitted to Dr. Beth McCoy uh, for extra credit on food safety. And uh, this comes from uh, uh, student uh, Sarah. And uh, we, I think uh, Beth said we could reveal all the information, but we'll, we'll just give the, uh, Sarah's first name. It's a two-page essay. Um, and I, I have not looked at it until just now. So I'll just read a little bit from, uh, from the essay, and then uh, maybe we can talk about it. So, uh, so, so Sarah writes, uh, there are a number of things that Schaffner and Chapman, both spelled correctly. So, so props to you, Sarah, for finding our names and, and spelling them correctly. Good job. Uh, good job. Schaffner and Chapman made me aware of in their food safety podcast that I did not 
know before. The first is that just about anything can aerosolize, which led me to think about every time I flush a toilet. Yes, good job, Sarah. Good job. <laughs> Welcome to our world and why having a lid is so important. Uh, unfortunately, toilets in the residence halls, thank you for the insight into your your life. That's, that's, that's what we ask people to do, talk about toilets in residence halls uh, that do not have lids. So now I run away as fast as I can after I flush one. Well, just be careful you don't trip and hurt yourself and uh, fall on the tile floor. Um, and then and then she she links this to N.K. Jemison, who's the author that we talked about. She said this can be related to Jemison's work in at least the first two books, as far as I know, because of the ash continually circulating in the air during a season. Uh, theoretically speaking, that ash could be carrying virtually anything, including germs that would otherwise not be in the air. So it makes breathing uh, increasingly dangerous. Um, yeah. So anyway, and she goes on uh, on here, but it's really anyway. It's it's, it's a it's a really nice, well written uh, essay. So so congrats, Sarah, for that. And Beth, thanks for sharing, and also for doing such a good job uh, producing such a, a student that can write such a really nice, interesting, uh, compelling essay. So so anything else you want to add on that? No, it was awesome. I mean, just great to. Um, for for Beth to share some of this stuff back with us because it's the same kind of thing. It's like it was such a great trip. Really enjoyed um, my time there, and then it's it's cool to to see that our 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 words, our event, whatever, um, end up uh, causing people to to think about other things. So. Oh, thanks. Thanks again for just show, you know, sharing that back. Yeah. Oh, and one, one more thing. She says, when I attended the Food Safety Talk podcast, I brought along my friend um, with whom I had an interesting conversation about the prevalence of food safety issues after we listened to what Schaffner and Chapman had to say. Uh, my friend and I agreed that uh, we were most surprised that food safety is such a broad and still relevant field. So so thank you uh, for that, Sarah. We're, 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 glad, uh, we're glad that we could make you aware of that. So, Absolutely. Um, uh, the next thing I wanted, so, so the, a couple of times recently, you've been to Rhode Island. Um, I have. And, and I recently went to Rhode Island, and I found a fascinating story in um, a um, – <clears throat> In uh, a story that was revealed to me by, um, oh shoot, I'm blanking on her name. Um, basically, she's can, the. Can, can we can we can, can we just call her Deep Rhode Island? I yeah, know who it sure. Is. I, it's it's the it's anyway it's it's the it's the other half of Rhode Island's famous food safety duo, um, uh, Ernie Julian. Um, yeah. Is is <laughs> Ernie Ernie is a food safety person in Rhode Island, very well known, highly visible. Uh, recently, he became so good at his job that they had to divide it into job that's that's done by two people, and this is uh, his his partner. And so, Kathy, Kathy Keener. Okay. Yes. Um, and so, yeah. So, and so, so she told us. So, I, so I spoke on uh, the safety of mail order foods, uh, which was a really wonderful uh, and nice uh, presentation. And it was great. We had a great. I had a great dinner uh, afterwards with uh, with our friends in in Rhode Island, uh, Nicole Richards, and um, oh my God. Lori Pavarnik? Um, Lori Pavarnik? No. Um, yes, Lori Pavarnik. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm so sorry, Lori. I know who you are. Um, I, maybe she doesn't listen. So, um, No, but Nicole Nicole listens, yes. and she's definitely going to tell Lori all about this. Yeah. <laughs> we had a we had a really 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 nice time and 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 it was it was good it was good fun so um but uh the story um that was told was part of the so I was part of a program with uh, several people and this was part of the uh, state of the plate and so the issue was that um uh somebody served cake at a birthday party and at the uh the the, the cake um people got a reaction, and they were they were sick. They were made sick by the cake, 
and the, the onset was rather fast, so it was a very quick, uh, you know, onset time from the time of consumption. And so, of course, cake, pastries, you know, made me immediately think, oh, it's Staph aureus. This is just going to be a story about Staph aureus. Well, no. Uh, turns out it was uh, acute uh, metal poisoning, okay? And so uh, in the... And we won't we won't share this because and some, for some reason this never made the news media and as, as as far as I could tell this was not private information this could this could be widely shared um, yeah but this I, never I've this, never heard about and, it and I, I did some googling I couldn't find it okay and so if there's any reporters out there and you want to file a Freedom of Information Act request uh, you could probably get the scoop on this so this is. Um, uh, there's a company in Rhode Island. Uh, I guess we don't we don't necessarily need to to name them, uh, but basically a company in Rhode Island that sells cakes, and they purchased an ingredient, and the ingredient is called gold dust. Okay, and it says non edible, non toxic for decoration only. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, now it's it's and it says rose gold dust, but it's really not. It's really very copper colored. Okay. So <laughs> well, anyway, and it's it and says it, rose gold dust, but like someone wrote wrote it's it's yeah, yeah it's, it, it says it's gold dust, and someone dust. wrote wrote the word rose, rose in front. Yeah. Um, okay. And so so basically, they they and and the the title of the of the thing is uh, the title of the document is rose gold dust traceback. Okay. So. And so this, uh, so it was this, this rose gold dust was used by a pastry company. They purchased the product from, um, you know, a, a company on the internet. If you go to that company's internet site, um, they're in, based in California, okay? Um, and uh, you'll see that they have a product that is uh, similar. Well, this is, it says that the rose gold dust product is not posted on their website, but they have a gold dust product that is posted on their website, and it's also labeled um, non-edible, non-toxic for decoration only, okay? That product was purchased from another company um, called uh, Divine Specialties. And so if you go to Divine Specialties, it's another company in California. And you, again, you can go on their website and you can see um, Divine Specialties Copper Highlighter Dust, two ounces, non-edible, non-toxic. This copper highlighter can be used for decorating showpieces or cake stands. It's non-toxic and edible, making it a great choice for sprinkling on pastry stands. So it, in, the, in the description of the product, it says non-edible, non-toxic. Okay? But in the text, it says yeah. it's non-toxic and edible. I guess meaning it's non-toxic and edible? Like the non is applied to both. I mean, yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah non toxic, yeah, not yeah, yeah, yeah right, so, right. I don't know. Um, so I copy on this website, and then wait for it. The punchline is you click on the last page in the document. Um, can do you? Are you seeing? Are you looking at the document? Oh yeah, yeah. Would you, I looked at. Would this, you? I, would you? I did would, my work. would you? Would you please describe to our listeners? So 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 what it is is like it's a very like fancy little thing that says gold dust two ounces there's another little thing that says gold dust two ounces gold dust two ounces little cute little cutesy label would you please describe for the listeners what the last product container is and what it looks like in yes it is a large chemical container yellow 
uh, in in size in color. Um, it is from uh, Newberg and Newberg and Porters. Uh, that, that's who, that who's that's who has imported this. The label on it is environmentally hazardous substance solid NOS copper powder. Um, it is copper powder. Single word warning. Uh, there's an uh, an attention on here that's that you know looks like it's from an an SDS sheet that says um, don't don't eat this and there's a lot of uh, hazards and in, in, uh, involved in it and um, my guess is without knowing um, exactly what the uh, uh, w- what the connection is is this is the stuff that's in the nice little smaller um, uh, jars that right. it is this copper powder right and 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 if you and then the last page is is something provided by the metal powders company yes. in Belgium it's in t- it says metal pigments for industrial coatings the mm. metallic effect finishes special effects combined with the excellent hiding power have resulted in the use of aluminum and gold bronze pigments for a wide variety of industrial coatings including consumer Consumer goods, interior design, floor coverings. Okay. Floor coverings. Dot dot dot. Yeah. Dot uh, dot dot. Tapes, I mean, could tapes. be could be so many <laughs> so many things. Um, so um, fascinating. Yeah. So so and then there's a couple of uh, uh, certificates of chemical analysis. Okay. Um, and this is the uh, the dust the dust samples. I will read. So there's, there's basically three different um, C of A's. Um, basically. These products contain, and, the, and so they did a test for aluminum, chromium, copper, and lead. Um, there's some aluminum, there's some chromium, there's there's some lead. The copper concentration is <laughs> nine hundred and eighty six thousand milligrams per kilogram. So this is this is basically. Pure copper. Copper shavings. Yeah, this is like this is just like pure pure copper. Um, and then they did an analysis of the cake. Okay, so this is the cake made with this copper powder. It contains twenty two thousand milligrams per kilogram of copper. Um, Oh my gosh! This is this is and again, I did a little bit of googling about what the toxic dose is for for copper. Uh, Hard to find anything, but the the drinking water standards are, uh, I believe, less than one um, milligram uh, per per kilo per liter of water. So that's per kilo, essentially per per kilogram of water. So this is this is something like twenty two thousand times the dose. If this was water. This would be twenty two thousand times the allowable level that would be allowed in in drinking water. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty wild. So the other thing that I noticed on this, so it's, it it doesn't come through in the in the cake sample, and I don't know what the what the difference is, but there's a lot of so they kind of have reportable limits um, for um, the the products in the in the COA a certificate analysis, and I don't know what those reporting limits are if that's just the limit detectable limit or if that's like a safety limit we'll have to do a little more digging i think on that or if that's a reporting limit if it's in water or whatever it is but beyond just the copper if you look at um this rose dust gold in the second second page um you also have uh you know as you said a little bit of aluminum a little bit of chromium but also quite a bit of lead 
Um, and and so last week, and we'll link to this in show notes. There was um, a, a a lot of stories on lead in dried dried spices, um, it being being an issue uh, uh, that you know that, that FDA uh, did, you know can, uh, found some and did a whole bunch of uh, recalls. It was in curry powders, um, and so so anyway, I, it, it doesn't seem to be reflected in the cake, and I don't know if. If that just has to do with the amount that is applied um, is lower, but but lead would be also from a you know I don't want to be eating copper, but I sure as hell don't want to be eating lead. Right, right, um, and, and we'll we'll also link to an FDA um, uh, webpage which is um, uh, updated. It was updated uh, in January of this year, uh, entitled "FDA Advises Home and Commercial Bakers to Avoid Use of Non-Edible Food Decorative." products. Um, the agency has become aware that some non-edible decorative glitters and dusts are promoted for use on foods. Home and commercial bakers need to be aware that these types of glitters and dusts are not intended to be used directly on foods and may contain materials uh, that should not be eaten. So, And again, this is, a, this is a link back to an earlier episode where we talked about um, some, of these, some of these issues. So yeah, so I mean, I just like to realize that this beautiful little uh, container of delightfully colored copper material actually came from like what looks like a toxic waste drum um, yeah. to me was just uh, absolutely uh, just shocking. And the, again, there's, this did not make the news, but basically there were some kids that were made very sick by this. Fortunately, nobody died, but man, oh man, uh, be, beware, um, beware. Uh, don't, don't eat uh, um, metal colored food. <laughs> right. I guess, well, and, is the bottom and, line. Yeah. And, and this is, I mean, the, here's, here's the, uh, here's the turns out, right? So, so I make, so I make a bunch of cakes and I'm really good at making cakes and I make decorative cakes and someone says, Hey, I want some, I want some copper color in this. And, and even if I'm the cake maker and I say, don't eat this stuff, if you give it to a bunch of kids, I got, I got two dirty kids that don't listen to, uh, to anything that I say, uh, pretty much they're not good at hand washing. And if they look at something and be like, wow, that's a cake, I'm going to eat that cake. Right. Like, so, so you now are creating a situation where you're trusting that the parent, the kid is going to control the consumption or, I mean, that's the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is you buy something that's called, um, rose dust gold, um, and, or, or gold dust, uh, uh, gold dust or whatever it is. And, and you don't know that it's, um, uh, you know, if we look at this website that it, it says that it's non-toxic and edible and you add it on, right? Like that's missing that, that word, um, maybe, maybe the issue, but, but even if you're making this from a, from a decorative standpoint in, in a bunch of kids could be, could be around it. You know, kids are going to eat this stuff. <laughs> yeah, My and that, yeah, and and just and just because it says non toxic, I mean, it, it right. it's non toxic if you don't like eat it. Yes, but if you eat it, it's toxic, right? <laughs> yeah. um, it's still copper shavings. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, so so I lo- I looked it up on Wikipedia. So the the uh, the safe level for copper in drinking water varies um, depending upon who's giving you that level. Uh, but it's generally around two milligrams per liter. So a liter is about a kilogram. So basically, this is the cake itself was uh, like ten thousand times the the limit for for drinking water. Uh, and so that's 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 not that's too much copper. <laughs> that's too much. Way too much copper. Um, 
through this entire, I sent you a link for show notes, but through this entire conversation, all I could, could hear in my, um, in my head is, um, the song gold dust woman from <laughs> the Fleetwood Mac rumors, uh, which, uh, according to Wikipedia, uh, you know, this is the naive, uh, naive me, me listening to this song. Uh, I didn't realize it, but it, it is, uh, according to, uh, um, an interview with, uh, Courtney Love, uh, for 1997 spin, uh, o- October edition on uh, Stevie Nicks confirmed that yes, gold dust was a metaphor for cocaine. Huh. So also don't put uh, cocaine in your, uh, decorate decorated or non-decorated cakes. Yes. Good, good advice. Good advice to follow. So, um, well that, I think, I think that's it in terms of, uh, food safety stuff that I wanted to cover. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of stuff, uh, like I said, last time I was going to do some homework and read an article, which I didn't do. Um, uh, there's stuff on, um, uh, humorous stuff that people publish in journals. Um, but, (laughs) but, uh, uh, I, I had, I had nothing else, uh, food safety related that, oh, I, I do want to say that, um, I did, uh, you know, Mike Godwin, you know who Mike Godwin is? Uh, no, I don't. Have you heard of Godwin's law? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes. I know who Godwin's, I don't know who Mike Godwin is. Mike Godwin is the Mike Godwin of Godwin's law. Awesome. Yes. So, um, and we were just chatting earlier today. Uh, we were chatting about uh, the wire, which is apparently a show that we both watch. So, no, uh, yeah. Right. So, it's, but we talked about nice. uh, Bunny Colvin and Hamsterdam to uh, to take us back to uh, an earlier episode. So, uh, yeah. So, I'm not really friends with Mike Godwin of Godwin's Law, but um, he and I were responding to a thread um, from David Simon, who is um, basically just um, uh, uh, troll baiting on on Twitter these days. So, yeah, that's awesome. Well, we will uh, link to uh, Godwin's Law um, in uh, in show notes for those of you who don't know about it, um, and that's super cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's just my my my. I mean, I also met Max Temkin and Alex Cox, which is probably you know that's that's like way more important than than having a one line Twitter conversation about the wire with 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 Mike Godwin. But I thought it was pretty cool that uh, that I did uh, get a tweet from uh, Mike Godwin of Godwin's Law. So yeah, that's very cool. Awesome. Um, all right. Well, I think that's a show. Um, yeah, listeners go do the stuff that we ask you to do. Um, keep inviting us and listening and Don, I like the ones we prepare for. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
cool. Sh- showed up on time like a professional. I did. I was, I was here. I was ready for you like a gentleman. Like a gentleman. <laughs> uh, so the one thing I, I, I do want to say, so I, you know, I think I shared uh, on, a, on an earlier episode that I'm trying to read more books. And yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I was uh, sitting next to a guy on a plane who was reading a book. And actually it was a book, uh, the um, – Ah, oh, uh, Richard Feynman's uh, "Surely You Must Be Joking," oh, uh, yeah, which, yeah. I, which I had read recently on my Kindle, and I'm like, "Shoot, there's a guy reading a book." I'm going to mention that I read that book to him, and then you know what? I'm going to read a book, and I have my Kindle with me, and I took it out, and I'm like, "Oh shoot, the book I want to read is not on my Kindle. Let me start reading this other book." And so I've been buying a lot of books. I haven't been reading a lot of books, but I've been buying a lot of books on my Kindle. And there's a I, Japanese word for that. Did we talk about this? <laughs> is there? Yeah, I think we. I mentioned this here. Let me look it up while you're. Yeah. Okay. So the, like, yeah. So the book Go. that the book that I want to tell you. about about is a book called Red Notice, um, and it's about uh, Bill Brower, Browder, who basically um, went to uh, uh, Soviet Union or, or Russia um, and, and made a lot of money investing in stuff, um, and then had some very, very scary experiences. So I found, I don't know how I found out about him, but basically um, uh, 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 he is the guy, uh, and I'm only like a third of the way or, or half the way through the book, so there's still a lot more, a lot more adventure to come, but, but he's a heck of a writer, and it's, it just gripped me. It's sort of like a, a real-life uh, spy novel, Except it's not about spying. It's about this guy who's uh, basically a wheeler dealer uh, investment investment guy um, in in nice. Russia. And so, uh, and I, have you ever heard? Have you heard of the Magnitsky Act? No. Okay. So, so your homework um, uh, is uh, is to look up uh, the Magnitsky Act. And let me put Magnitsky, it, yeah. Magnitsky yeah. Act. Yeah, so this, is, this is something that I that I found out about um, because of all the. Uh, <clears throat> political stuff I've been listening to lately, but basically, um, yeah. So Magnitsky Act is really important, and uh, it, it, it's uh, we should uh, we should have more Magnitsky Acts in more countries, not less. Oh um, yeah, okay. I knew, yeah. I didn't know what it was called. Okay, I know. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, right. so, uh, very cool. Yeah. So anyway, Red so notice. we haven't, right. we haven't, yeah, we have not gotten to, uh, Magnitsky act. We have not got, we have not met in the book. We have not yet, um, not yet met Sergei Magnitsky. Uh, but, uh, I read notice by Bill Browder, a heck of a story. So, uh, really, uh, highly recommended and only a little bit depressing. <laughs> oh, well, Hey, good. I will, that's added to my list. I'm also trying to read more books when I'm uh, traveling and I read, um, Last week when I went to to Canada, I read um, on Max's suggestion uh, mm-hmm. the the Fifth Risk from you Michael know, Lewis, and that's so was, yeah. So I, did you read that? I want I want to put yeah, that. I, I, I want to buy it and read it as well. It's good. Yeah. It's in my my local ebook library. Like we, Ooh, I just had to cool. check it out. I had to buy it. Um, but even though I, I would have, it was it was really good. And and anyway, maybe I wanted to talk. We, we'll come back to this maybe after you read it, um, because I want to talk about. So I, I think I texted you that. So Kathy Wotecki is interviewed for it around food safety, and so Max was telling you about um, line speeds, and so that was what. Oh, she named okay. As her as her fifth risk. Okay. Um, and I want. Um, I, it's not the same. And I think you and I are on the same page. It's not the same fifth risk I would have picked for food safety. Uh, yes. or, or, but, but anyway, it's, uh, I want to read it and then let's talk about it afterwards. It's a good book and it was quick. I mean, I read it in, you know, it's 220 pages. I think I read it. I read it on, on, uh, two flights and it cool. was done. All right. So yeah. I, I, uh, I just bought it on Kindle. So, um, awesome. 
done. Um, yeah. So Red Notice is is I see it. I, yeah. It, I don't know how many pages it is, but it's 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 not going like I mean it's it's it, it reads easily. It's a, it's an easy. It's not a not a hard read, um, but it is fairly long. And so um, yeah, I don't know how to find out how many pages it is, but anyway. Um, yeah, I'm, it is so I'm 417 pages. Ooh, so yeah, so that that explains right. why I'm only uh, uh, halfway through. So I can I can I can handle that. That's not bad. Um, cool, cool. Uh, what else was I going to tell you? Something. Oh, oh. So I I really like the. I mean, I've been following uh, Merlin's challenge of Spotify, and oh, I haven't jumped yeah. jumped into Spotify, but I did. Like, I've been going to this uh, coffee shop that is close to campus. And I've been, I don't know, I've been out on Starbucks mainly because the coffee at this coffee place is so, so good. Mm. It's called Jabala. Um, and they, they have like a local roaster that they get their stuff from and I, and they make, I, I, I really like, we've talked about the flat white, right? Like the flat white oh, yeah. is my two afternoon drink. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Starbucks started out doing really well with flat whites. I've found them, uh, increasingly waterier and they just taste huh. like lattes now huh. from Starbucks. So I've started going to Jabala, which has the, the, the first place in Raleigh that I had a flat white. Um, and so anyway, I was there sitting, doing some work on my, uh, on my iPad using like a laptop and, uh, this new, this band came, uh, played the, uh, well, this song came on the radio or the Spotify or whatever they're playing. And, uh, it has now became, become my, uh, my favorite band. And, uh, I kind of like did the, uh, the Spotify thing. It's a band called Houndmouth. And I think I had tweeted it, and I think you might have mentioned something back and made fun of me for it. But um, but go check out. <laughs> That's my, it's kind of my mo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like Houndmouth with something. Uh, but anyway, go check out Houndmouth if you're looking for new music. And this is my type of new music. They are they're really good. Okay, they have a new album um, out, uh, Golden Age. Golden it's out Age. now. Yeah. So the so the there they, I also just missed them on tour. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't know about them until um, like two weeks ago, since the last time we recorded, and then they've become my favorite band, of course. That's how I roll, right? I listen to one song, I'm like, this is amazing. Then I listen to everything. Then I listen to it over and over again. I've listened to nothing but Houndmouth pretty much in the last two weeks. And then, of course, I go like, when are they on tour? And they were just here, so I won't see them. But uh, the song that I like the best that I would suggest you start with is uh, Sedona. Sedona, got it. Yep. And that whole album is great. And the new albums, their new album is good, but the album that Sedona is on is my favorite. So got it. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, so one, one more thing yeah. that I meant to mention earlier, but that I didn't. Um, so uh, Rutgers university's um, 50 uh, top, uh, university experts in the news media just came out today, and yes. uh, it, unfortunately, it is an alphabetical list, not oh, so not not, not a point. list um, uh, in the order of the amount of hits that you got. Um, but you're on. So, but I'm on it way down near the bottom because S is at the bottom. The so uh, uh, not not too not too shabby. So uh, anyway, oh, so we'll we'll, we'll 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 put thank you. We'll put a link to Rutgers experts in the news, and I am. Uh, on the alphabetical list of fifty Rutgers faculty members, uh, that bastard uh, Ken Abel's got the top of the list. <laughs> uh, of course, Ken. Way to go, Ken. What about um, speaking of Rutgers professors in the news? Is also infamous professors that that are um, <laughs> that are getting. Uh, it, did, did we talk where, about a professor in your department who uh, sits well, around well, a little bit? Well, yeah. well, we're going to not talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, he's not on the list though. 
He's not. He's not on the list. He's a good. He's a. He's a good guy. Um, and uh, yeah, he's 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 a good guy, and we're not going to talk about him. Okay. Okay. All right. Good, good except, Rutgers experts. In, except maybe the, not when we're recording. So, but no, we're not. Right. Talk right. About right. Him. Isn't there? Was the is the guy who um, the guy who has the Beyonce course? Oh, he's not. He's not affiliated list? with Rutgers anymore. I follow him on oh, Twitter though. Yeah. Me too. I love him. I can't yeah. remember his name other than it's Kevin. Like. Yeah, Kevin. Yeah, yeah, Kevin. But he has like a different name. Anyway, but he wasn't on there either. I'm sure. No, that's too bad because I love that. Guy. Yeah, he's a good guy. Well, good. Well, congratulations for being on the list. Thanks. Um, uh, all right. So, so can we? All right, I'm going to look and maybe I'll derail this, but um, no, this will work. Could, are you? Is Veterans Day a thing that you guys have in in Rutgers? Like, is that a day that you have a vacation? Um, I'm holding that day for a uh, thesis defense, but I would be gladly record a podcast that day. Let's do it. Can we try? I love this. Let's. I think this is good for the fans. Uh, nine, let's try 930 again on, on November 12th. Okay. Um, what time? Do you know when your thesis defense is oh, going to be? I, I'm holding like a dozen dates for the students, oh, so okay. uh, it's, it's, it's no problem. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to put uh, that I'm recording uh, a podcast and I'm not available for him. So. Okay. He needs, to get, he needs to get his act together. Yeah. D- defend away, buddy. Uh, <laughs> done. That is in the, that's in, in there. Uh, we don't have Veterans Day is not a thing that we have. Really? Like it's a, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a thing that's just not like not the university holiday. Oh, uh, we have, um, uh, they, I think we get the, the Veterans Day and some other, a couple of other days. We only, we only observe, um, MLK Day. And I think that's it. Like President's Day, we don't get, but we get them all at Christmas. So they like float those. So the university oh, shuts yeah. down. So it's always confusing. Hmm. Um, but anyway, I will be, that's a perfect day. All right. Us. It's on my list. All right. Cool. And this one is yours, yep, correct? It is. Um, and I, I do think, I mean, you, you can listen for all the, the show notes, but I think the best thing we said was was washed up in big soap. Yeah, that's fine. We'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> Oh, good. Cool. All right. Uh, I, I don't think there's any other note. If you, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about other stuff that I talked about and I'll shoot you the, the notes. Okay. So, sounds okay. good. And we'll talk to you in like three minutes for three anybody's. Minutes. Yep. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye.